You must tell me all your secrets. Remember, we must share everything together. Make a list of things you're afraid of. Where would you feel most exposed? The woods. What scares you about the woods? Everything. Is it any woods in particular? Eden. Imagine you're at Eden. Imagine you arrive at Eden through the woods. Tell me what you see. Darkness comes early down here. I heard a sound. The cry of all the The ground is burning. The ground is not burning. I've just been having a lot of crazy dreams. <laughs> Do you love me? Help me. Girls Guts and Jello. This is Annie Rose Malamet. And today, <coughs> ooh, oh. Oh. we it's winter. <laughs> yep. And I have been doing that. <laughs> uh, we are here. I am here with Liam Billingham. Hello. Hi, Liam. Hi, Annie. We're talking about Antichrist. And <laughs> Liam. Can you introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I am a I'm a filmmaker and a podcaster and um, a recovering Lars von Trier fan. Um, yeah, uh, I think that I was pretty obsessed with this movie for a long time. I would say I'm definitely not obsessed with it anymore, um, but I did pick it because I think it's like it's it's worth talking about, and it is like ten years old. It's old. It feels like it just came out yesterday. It really me. does. Well, it's interesting. Like he's he's such a special guy, Lars, in so many <laughs> truly ways. Yeah. So I yeah, I was excited to talk about it because I also think for me it's his last great movie. I don't think he's made a movie as good since. Oh, okay. So you don't like the others in the Depression trilogy? Um, I think Melancholia. I remember Melancholia coming out and going like, oh, Lars von Trier went mainstream. Like, that was my impression mm. of that movie. And I, I think that that's a little bit absurd. Maybe. And it also, <laughs> I feel like Antichrist is such a hard movie mm-hmm. that I feel like, and Melancholia certainly isn't an easy movie, but it feels comparatively less dense. And um, I hated Nymphomaniac. Oh, Nymphomaniac is... 
it's wretched. It's wretched. It's <laughs> I, I can't believe I finished it. It was so bad to me that I still and I and I and I sort of actively rebel against the idea of watching the house that Jack built because I just it just feels like he's become an internet troll. I haven't seen that one yet yeah. either. I can't bring myself to, but I'm sure I will at some point. Right. Um, I remember when this came out, honestly, in 2009, that I it, there was a ton of controversy mm-hmm. around it, and I remember like there was the buzz. And yes. Then I, I watched it, and I think I was. I mean, it's kind. Of, it's shocking, but I was like, okay, right. But it, you know, it's got graphic penetration and. You know, yeah, genitals being cut off and all of that. A clitorectomy. A clitorectomy. I it is described <laughs> yes, as. Yeah. So written and directed by Lars von Trier. What? what? Yep. Sorry, I couldn't <laughs> help it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in case you haven't guessed yet, Liam is the first straight man that's ever been on this podcast. Yep. Yep. Hello. The <laughs> We're over thirty episodes. <laughs> oh, in. Jesus Christ, yeah. <laughs> Annie, you've changed. <laughs> so, uh, and you know, we work together. We do work together. Yeah, but soon, no more. And we talk a lot about movies. And we've talked a little bit about this movie. Yes. Um, yeah, I saw it at the New York Film Festival. I, in college, <laughs> so straight white guy. <laughs> it, uh, I, in college, um, <clears throat> I was really into, uh, I, did, I studied theater. And um, I, luckily enough, ended up at a theater school with like, interesting intellectual people as opposed to like theater musical th- I mean there was musical theater there but there was like an actual like pretty rigorous theater program there and we did a we read a lot of Bertolt Brecht and I kind of knew who Lars von Trier was but then Dogville came out while I was in college and I drove from my college in New Hampshire to Boston to go to like a screening of it and I managed to get like the last ticket I went with a friend and that move Dogville and I still think uh, completely blew my mind I was like this fucking movie I just think is a masterpiece it's still my favorite Lars von Trier movie and that made me go back and like I watched Breaking the Waves which I also I still really love and I watched like I did a deep dive I like downloaded he did a um, TV version of Medea in the 80s on Danish television that. it's yeah. great Ooh. beautiful Udo Kair plays um, Medea's uh, Creon. It's really good. And then I just watched everything and I was really into him and then like went and saw Manderlay, which I've only seen the one time and I don't know if you've seen that one, but I it's, haven't. it's not good yeah. compared to Dogville. So I was just really into him and then this thing got announced and it was like, there was a lot of buzz around it. The like oh. Lars von Trier hype machine in like the late two, early, two, the, the like the first decade of the 2000s like he made a movie and everyone paid attention. I don't think that's uh, the same at all anymore. But this movie just got so much attention and it like people like lost their minds at con. I was like, yeah, like I couldn't <laughs> wait to see it. And then I went to New York Film Festival. Someone fainted at the New York Film Festival screening. It's true. And Elvis yes. Mitchell stood up and was like, someone get a doctor. Like oh it was like this really God. insane experience. And then I saw it again at IFC when it opened. And then my girlfriend at the time bought me the Blu-ray. <laughs> Oh, yeah. We're not together anymore. <laughs> um, I'm still hung up on the girl who got you solo. Oh, she gave me the complete oh, works oh, of the Marquis yeah, de Sade. Hot. Yeah. So, yeah, I I really, really loved this movie. Um, I don't, I haven't felt the, I, I saw Melancholia a bunch of times too. Like, I thought it was great, but now, now it's hard for me to like relate to it in the same way. Yeah. Antichrist. 
Right. So some background. Please. Um, like you were saying, it, it immediately garnered controversy at Con. Uh, after and where Charlotte Gainsbourg, uh, so it stars Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsbourg. Charlotte Gainsbourg won Best Actress at Con. She plays she. She plays she. They they have no names. Their names she are she and, and he. Mm-hmm. She and yeah, she and he. And you know, I refer to them a lot as the man and the woman. It's appropriate. What, what it's very intentional. <laughs> yeah, I, I would assume. yeah, absolutely. And Antichrist is the first in Von Trier's unofficially titled Depression trilogy. Oh, that's right. Melancholy yes. and Nymphomaniac. Yes, n- Melancholy and Nymphomaniac. You know, there's something sort of retrograde about him in general, but I also like that there's still a filmmaker who, like, I'm making a tri- Like, I I'm like, I appreciate, like, yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like it's him and, like, Hanukkah that have this kind of, like, clout that they can say shit like that. And, like, it's super annoying, but I'm also glad there's at least, like, one or two of those. Bring it back. Of- yeah, bring, bring it, it back. back. I love shit like that. Um, so he began working on it in 2006 while being hospitalized for depression. Which is interesting. Yes, he was hev- he was heavily inspired by Japanese horror films, um, and he said that he was unsure whether Antichrist could really be classified as a horror film because it's not so horrific. <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> okay. Okay. We Calm didn't... down, Lars. <laughs> Just chill, bud. We didn't try to do shocks, and that is maybe why it is not a horror film. I took the horror genre more as an inspiration, and then this strange story came out of so it. So, thinking about this movie today and rewatching the trailer. And I've seen the film probably five or six times. Um, I am caught up in how strange it is, not yeah. in how scary it is. Yeah. It is a truly strange movie. It's not scary. No. But it is horrific. Yes. Which I think kind of puts it in the horror genre. I agree. Yeah. I think we just kind of associate horror with like, you have to be scared. And I don't necessarily yes. feel that way about horror. I think it needs to explore the horrific. It's also kind of like I was talking about this with the um, uh, I was talking to my friend George about this with whom I do a podcast that you've been on. Yeah, you can plug it. I will. Yeah, we, I will totally plug it. Um, but we were talking about um, there's that film, The Most Wanted Man, the Philip Timmer Hoffman movie. And I described it as like it's hard espionage in that like you see a James Bond movie and it's about like gadgets and girls and like saving the world. Whereas like a hard espionage movie is like, you don't know what's going on half the time because they're really committed to it. I feel like antichrist is like a hard horror movie. Mm. Like it's not committed to scare jump scares or shock scares or anything like that. In fact, I'm a big fan of The Hour of the Wolf, the Igmar Bergman film from the 1960s. I actually haven't seen that one. And there's a lot, I don't know if it's intentional at all, but it's about a couple on an isolated island who like meet their neighbors who are very strange. And it's not, it's scary, but it's actually much more of like an art horror film, and That's, I think it yeah. has a lot in common with. That's what this. Antichrist. Yeah, I mean, it. I didn't in my research. I didn't find that he was specifically inspired by Ingmar Bergman, but I kind of. You can see it. You can see it definitely. Um, so the script was delayed oh, many right. times because an executive producer revealed the plot that the earth was created by Satan, not by that's God. That's so interesting. Yes. And Von Trier was so incensed by this uh, that he delayed the shoot for rewrites and then, you know, he kind of reworked what the big reveal would be. And there's, not, I mean, I guess the what's the big reveal? How do you describe the big reveal in it? Oh, God. Um, that I don't know. I guess we have to kind of slog through it, and then maybe I'll. Yeah, I. Uh, it's a weird because it doesn't have like a. I mean, it has a reveal, but it doesn't seem to me to have. It's not like the Earth was created by Satan. No, it's not that kind of. Reveal. No. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, in 2007, Von Trier announced that he was suffering from depression and that it was possible that he would never be able to make another film. 
This is so interesting because if Lars von Trier is, if not anything, is very good at getting everyone to look at him and mm-hmm. to pay attention to him. So I often wonder. Such a troll. Not that I don't think he's depressed. Fine. But like the fact that he would announce it. I'm never making another film. I know. I'm so sad. That's, it's such a like celebrity narcissist it is. thing. Well, but, he's a narcissist. Yeah, absolutely. To get in the right mood before filming started, Defoe and Gainsbourg were shown Andre Tarkovsky's *The Mirror*, which I've never seen. I haven't either. I'd like to go back and watch it. I've yeah. seen a few of his films, but not that one. Well, the film is dedicated to Tarkovsky. It is. Yes. That's right. And Defoe also uh, shown he showed them his own films like *The Idiots*, which is a great movie. Yes, love I that love movie. that one. Yeah, and Gainsbourg, uh, *The Night Porter*. Have you seen *The Night Porter*? I have not, but I'm supposed to do it on the podcast. I hate that movie. I have to watch it. Um, I remember watching it. I it's his favorite film. It. It's his, it's Lars von Trier's yeah. favorite film. I know because I'm a nerd, <laughs> and I watched it, and I was just like, this thing. I, maybe it's just that it's 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 aged and dated, and I watched it on like a Saturday morning. But I just was so like, so what? I don't know. It just didn't do it for me. But uh, Charlotte Rampling, Charlotte She's Rampling, incredible and everything. Doing SM, yep. yeah, and you know the Night Porter. She she studied Charlotte Rampling's acting right. in that. Uh, Defoe also met therapists working with cognitive behavioral therapy, as well as being present in actual sessions of exposure therapy and studying material on the topic. This was their second movie together, I think. And uh, now they've worked together quite a bit. Gainsbourg and Lars von Trier? No, Defoe. Defoe Because he's in Mandalay. Oh, oh Defoe, uh, Defoe and Lars and von Trier. And Lars von Trier. And then I think they've done a couple things together. D- Defoe's kind of now like does just Abel Ferrara movies and like other stuff. But like, yeah, I think this was their second. I, I think Bo- Bo- Defoe is a great Von Trier actor. Like he's great for a Von he's Trier. He's great for, in this. He's great in he it. He really is. It's a weird part. Yes, it is. Uh, and he also thanks the therapists and researchers in the uh, credits. And Von Trier was incredibly depressed during the filming, which took 40 days. Oh, my God. He couldn't operate the camera himself as he was used to doing, and this greatly upset him. Uh, and then when he premiered at Cannes, right, several people walked out and uh, fainted. And at the press conference following the screening, Trier was asked by a journalist from the Daily Mail to justify why he made the film, to which the director responded that he found the question strange since he considered the audience as his guests, not the other way around. He then claimed to be the best director in the world. I love this. I mean, I think this is like the beginning of the fall of Lars von Trier. But when you, I've watched that clip. He's clearly joking when he says right, I'm the best right. director in the world. And I. He's a troll. He's a troll. I also sort of love that he was like, you're my guest. Like, I like that. I. One of the things that's great about the Cannes Film Festival, for better or for worse, is that there's still a culture where a film director can be like, shut up. I made a movie. I don't care what you think. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think that, and like. Obviously, that's mostly been inclusive of a specific type of filmmaker, but like, there's also something really hilarious about that press conference. Yeah, oh, I mean, his interviews are generally pretty hilarious. Like him and the Hitler thing at the mel- during I the Melancholia. Know, like, know. it's insane. Yeah. It's you're just like jaw on the floor. You just said that you feel bad for Hitler. Yes. Yeah. And Kristen Dunst is like, "Fuck." I know her. There goes my Oscar. I know the gifts of like her reaction to that or everything. She's incredible in Melancholia. Too. She really is. Actually, I love her. She's a really underrated actress. I think she's so underrated yeah. and I'm like like her career now is really interesting and weird. Somebody on Twitter said like, "Imagine if Sofia Coppola had cast Kristen Dunst instead of Scarlett Johansson in Lost in Translation, like we would be on a totally Ooh, different timeline." Very different yeah, worlds. Yeah, we wouldn't have to deal with Scar Joe. Yeah, Scar Joe. Yeah. Mm. Um, so 
The ecumenical jury at the Cannes Film Festival gave the film a special anti-award and declared the film to be the most misogynist movie from the self-proclaimed biggest director in the world. God bless. God bless. The Talking Fox Chaos <laughs> was nominated for the Palm Dog. It should be the Palm Day Dog. Yeah. I don't <laughs> yes. like Palm Dog. It doesn't yeah. work as well. Yeah. Palm Day Dog. Yes, but lost to Doug from Up and <laughs> two versions. Fucking Doug. <laughs> right. I just felt like we Can need... I swear on your show? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Fucking Doug. <laughs> I just felt like we needed to know that. It's the important. listeners needed to know that the Chaos Reigns Fox lost Also, he's not a dog. So it's kind of why didn't they give him like the Palm de Fox? I know. <laughs> he's not a dog. Uh, two versions were available for buyers at the con film market, nicknamed the Catholic and Protestant versions, where the former had some of the most explicit scenes removed while the latter was cut. I'm sort of of the belief that watching this movie with that stuff cut is there's no point in watching the movie. What else are you watching it for? Yeah, uh, it's it's like it is a movie for better or for worse. Like that, where to look away is to like deny the movie of what it's very very explicitly it's, trying right, to do. It's c- completely abject like that's what yeah. it's about yeah so the film was received very well in denmark <clears throat> by critics of course they have to love him <laughs> he's their biggest export yeah. but was polarizing in the u.s and many critics found it to be very misogynist what <laughs> what did you know did, is, does it list on the credit the mis- the misogyny consultant it does. Okay, yeah, because yeah. that's like that was very that was very and a gynocide consultant. A gynocide, yeah, that was very controversial. People were like, I remember reading people understandably online being like, if you want proof that Lars von Trier is a misogynist, he hired a misogyny consultant to work on this movie. But why not? Which is interesting because that doesn't necessarily make him a misogynist. I I am sort of you know interested in exploring the the quest this question I am as too. we talk. Is this movie misogynist? Um, obviously, neither of us are the arbiter of listen, all Annie. Misogyny, <laughs> yeah. But, but it's an interesting thing to talk it's about. It's an interesting thing to talk about because the movie is a major plot point. Misogyny, it is a huge right? part of the movie. Okay, so let's get into talking about the plot. Okay, let's do it. Okay. So we open with the prologue. These handwritten title cards show us each chapter of this film. And there's like a sound cue. It's like... Yes. And there's very slow-mo, black and white, of Charlotte and Willem. Boning. <laughs> having sex. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it can only be described as boning They're in this context. Ferally boning. They are. Yeah, in a shower with graphic penetration. The third shot. Third shot is, is a, a penis going into, into a, a vagina. vagina. And they shot it with the, um, I believe it was called the Viper. So this movie was a big deal because it was shot on Red One back when that was like right. a cool camera. Mm-hmm. But they used this camera called the Viper, which I think shot 9,000 frames per second of this wow. dick entering this vagina. Yeah. And he would then, I think, per- um, perfect this with the opening of Melancholia, which has these yes. beautiful opening in the film, which has no dicks going into vaginas, but does have all this like really powerful imagery of... Sad, depressed Kirsten Dunst. Yes, very slow mo. He's mm-hmm. into the slow mo. The there were porn actors uh, that that they used for the shots so of penetration, mm-hmm. and they even made casts of their genitals for the more violent scenes with like removable parts. Like apparently, the vagina was in a ton of like moving parts. To, right. To later in the film when we see it. Uh, and also there is opera music from H- Handel's opera, Rinaldo. And it's snowing out. 
And it's a very intense sex scene. They're knocking shit over like crazy. They're really into it. They're really into good it. Good for them. Yeah, good for them. Hell yeah. You know, they just had a baby. <laughs> the baby dies. They're, they're too distracted by their ferocious sex, and the baby breaks out of the playpen and falls out the window looking for one of his toys and dies. And Charlotte kind of, it's kind of implied that she orgasms as the baby falls to his death. Um, discuss. What- <laughs> so is this, so one of the things that's interesting about this movie is the idea that it's the idea that, um, in the original version of the script, is that the earth is made by Satan, not by God. Yes. And so if that is still like a central idea to the movie, even though it's not necessarily expressed in that way, is this like original sin? That's what I'm thinking. Right? I'm thinking, you know, the garden they go to is called Eden. It's very heavy-handed. It's so heavy-handed. Almost annoyingly. Almost. No, annoyingly heavy-handed. I'm generally not that interested in movies that have like biblical themes, but I'm giving this one a pass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And I mean, I mean, it's unavoidable. So many movies have biblical themes. But I think of this as like the lo- original sin and the loss of innocence. Like yes. the baby dies. Well, and- there's this very, if I remember, there's a juxtaposition of like you see the baby's face falling into the frame. And then you see her like lift her head up in pleasure as she's yes. orgasming. Yes. And it's like a very intense, I mean, it feels very, it's, it's heavy handed. Yes. But it's also very powerful. And that opening, I remember seeing it in the theater and people were crying. People really? were like very, very distraught wow. by the opening of that film. Wow. It is distressing. It's very distressing. I... And it doesn't shy away from being, you see the baby hit the fucking ground. Yes. Which is crazy. Yeah. It's like hits and then it's like rolls. Ugh. Oh, it's awful. It's yeah. awful. Yeah. Um, and he, there's, I mean, I know we don't like Nymphomaniac, but it's, there's a lot of like snowy street. It's imagery. beautiful. It's kind of similar to this the opening here. Something he would expand on later. I think also he's like it's pretty hard to deny his craft. Like mm-hmm. he's a pretty exceptional stylist. Yes. And I think that might get in the way of uh, the ability to process some of what he does for its like repugnance because right. he's so good at. It's interesting because. Like uh, I think a filmmaker that he gets compared to a lot is Hanukkah, mm-hmm. but Hanukkah has like a much clearer sense of morality. Like his films, in some ways, to like you know, I think people will argue that he's a moralist. Like he I would tells agree you, with you, which yeah. most of the time I think is fine because a lot of the time he's on the right side of these things. But Lars von Trier is not nearly as directly like this is what you should no, take away from this. No, he's more of a troll. Yes. He's more like I don't know what you should take <laughs> away from this. Though so, yeah, though I feel Dogville has like a pretty clear sense of like. Mm-hmm perspective but this movie i think is a problem because you're right at the end of it you're like what am i right what's the message here people think the ending is like revenge right kind of thing so anyway chapter one chapter one grief Grief. uh the man is crying at the his son's funeral while the woman is kind of stone-faced and she faints and cannot process the immense grief he visits her in the hospital, and she's been there a month, and he's already, like, micromanaging her and her medication. He thinks he knows better than her doctor, and, uh, you know, this is kind of the beginning of how he's going to really control her treatment to his detriment, ultimately. Right. And she thinks that this death is her fault, and he assures her that her grief is not atypical. There's a big theme in this of, like... You know, your grief is normal, he keeps saying to her. Like, it's okay to feel it and move through it. But that's so gaslighting because it's like sometimes medicine is the only way that you can 
move through this thing. So right. it's so uh, it's just immediate kind of misogyny. I th- so this is one thing, and I know you have the note about talking about the bit that comes up, but I think that one thing that like again, we're not going to be able to say this film is. Def- I think this film is misogynist, but I think. At the at the risk of being overly simplistic about, it. I definitely would have said in two thousand nine, this film is not misogynist. Everything he's doing is very intentional. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that way anymore. What I feel now is like he's trolling. He also like it's almost uh, it's almost not his decision whether the film is misogynist or not. Like I, I think that the problem is that people will always like, well, what did you intend to say? And it's like at least to me, it doesn't matter. Right. What the film has the potential to say is misogynist. That being said. The character with whom you feel sympathy in the film, to me, is Charlotte Gainsbourg. Absolutely. And Willem Dafoe is a piece of shit through this entire movie. Yeah, he's a dick, and I think you're supposed to see him as a dick. Yeah, right. And I think the great kind of troll of the movie is that you could read this as a very misogynist movie, or you could read it as a very empowering movie. I think that's kind of the great... The greatness right. of it mm-hmm. <laughs> and why it was so controversial. Yeah. So I think in these beginning scenes in the hospital, we're kind of seeing that they were, this couple was joined together during their sexual connection physically and spiritually mm-hmm. in the beginning, but they're now separate, completely separate. Oh, agents. yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Rent asunder. And (laughs) he wants her to leave the hospital because he doesn't think she's sick. She's just grieving. And he says, no therapist can know as much as I do about about you. What a fucking monster. Awful thing to say. They and they argue and there's a bunch of jump cuts. I also think it's interesting. And I I think stylistically in the movies, the, the dialogue scenes have that sort of Lars von Trier, completely inconsistent continuity quality, which I think is really great. But. I also think there's an interpretation of his behavior that he's seeking revenge on her because she killed his kid in his mind, right? Like yeah. he's not interested in her therapy, he's interested in torturing her. Or he yes. doesn't or there's a cognitive dissonance in this character that he doesn't understand that's what he's doing, but he's seeking yes. to control something that he can't. Absolutely. Control? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's all yeah, control is a huge theme in right. this film. There's a very strange close up. This is the first of many. Of a plant in a glass vase by the bed. Right. Do you remember that? I do. And yeah. And it, it zooms in and you yeah. hear the like. Yeah. Boom, what's boom. up with that? I think. What do you think it is? I mean, I think it's alluding to like the the, the uh, chaotic nature of nature. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like we're kind of zooming in on this thing that we can't. You, you zoom in so much you still can't see everything that's going on. I think that's true. I also think, I think that's a good point. I also think like, and the movie's kind of coming back to me in ways, is that maybe the big reveal, I don't want to jump too far ahead, so stop me, is that one of the things that the movie is about is like nature is not forgiving. Right. Nature is brutal brutal and doesn't care. Or not that it doesn't care, but nature will get what it needs to get it's almost it has things in common with that mother film the mm-hmm. the aronofsky film from i mean i think it's a much more interesting movie Which, than full mother. disclosure i do not like yeah but. and i don't really like it i i admire things about it but i think as a movie it doesn't work so well but i feel as though something that he's getting at with images like this is the idea of and i think that this is a really interesting thing to talk about is the idea that um nature is like embodied by femininity mm-hmm. and femininity is a lot more 
is not the typical image we hold of it in the same way that we're like, oh, the mother needs to be upset. The mother needs to grieve. Like there's just something perverse in the idea of like the core of everything is polluted and he associates nature with women, which is like such a time honored way of for people to think about that kind of stuff. Like yeah, yeah. mother nature and all that stuff. Right. And it's chaos. And, right. You know, it, it's like this benevolent kind of misogyny of like it's natural, which is also like very stifling. Yes. To people. <clears throat> Uh, and there's, you know, this, she's very stifled in this movie in a lot of ways. And she expresses her, like, herself through violence, which at the end feels quite necessary. Yes. For her, I mean, literally is necessary for her survival. Right. Right. So, the back at their sterile apartment, the woman is... <laughs> Meanwhile! <laughs> ...is flushing her pills down the toilet. She sobs. The man comforts her. This is like a pattern that's going to be over and over in the movie. He tells her there's no way around feeling this grief. But and she, this is when she kind of starts to, you know, talk back at him and says that he's always been distant around her and their son. I never interested in you till now that I'm your patient. She's so good in this movie. She really is. It's yeah. an amazing performance. It's an amazing performance because she, it just feels very, I don't know, Charlotte Gainsbourg is very idiosyncratic. She doesn't read as an actress. Like, she doesn't read as an actress with a capital A. And I, I just think it's really good. I also think your use of sterile to describe their apartment is really interesting because this movie takes place in the Pacific Northwest. Seattle. Right. He's never been to the United States. <laughs> he won't come here. He won't fly. He's scared of flying. I didn't know that. Won't fly. Uh, travels to Cannes via a... Uh, motor uh, motorhome okay. thing every year to for the festival that he's there, um, and he has this very. I mean, Dogville is about America. It's like very on point about America. But it's interesting that his modern representation of America is this like sterile, woodsy, weird. Pl- I don't know it's just very interesting to me. I mean, the Pacific Northwest is a very you know. Ugh, I mean, America has so many different yeah. landscapes, but it's one of the the ones that yeah. you think of. You know, when you when you think of the woods in the U.S. Right. Uh, and the woods is terrifying. Yes. In this movie. They shot it in France or, does, it or Denmark. It looks like the Pacific Northwest. It does. Yeah, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it, the, the imagery is beautiful, the way they is. sort of enhance it. And, yeah. Yeah. So he says that he was distant because he thought that she wanted to be alone and write her thesis at Eden, which I guess is like their cabin in the woods somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. They're kind of generic white people. Yeah, they are. Like he's a doctor and she's like a vague Absolutely. student, yeah, academic. my thesis. So I'm writing my thesis. And do you, I feel like he might be, again, I think a lot of he, what he does is very self-aware. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of it might be him being like, it might be a little bit of a comment on. I think so. Yeah. I mean, Especially because they live in Seattle. I mean, it just right, seems, right, 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 right. You know, they're very metropolitan kind of city. And he's Danish, so he's like the whitest of white people. Yeah. So it's interesting. Like, I never think about his work as. Re- I mean, his films have like racial undertones and like really problematic, especially in like *Nymphomaniac* and *Manderley*. But yeah. um, the sort of satire. Satir- there's there's some comedy to this movie, and one bit of comedy might be like, "I'm an academic. I'm yes. writing about the history of." misogyny right. or, or whatever it is. Which is the... just such an annoying... We'll get to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get to it. Yeah. So the woman says that the project lost meaning for her while she was at Eden and that it was glib, just like the man said it was. And he denies that they ever said, he ever said it was glib. And then they kiss. They kiss. <laughs> creepy. Mm. <laughs> There's a creepy shot of the woods with like a, a 
dark rumbling sound, which I kind of interpret as like primal nature yeah, waking up. That's that makes sense. And the woman has nightmares. The man comforts her again, and he, the man kind of gaslights her into thinking she's having intense anxiety. Oh, this part's a lot, right? Much. But she keeps insisting that it's more than that. I mean, she's kind of warning him that she's dangerous to be around. She right. keeps saying. And then the woman ferally tries to initiate sex. This happens quite a bit in this movie. There's more shots of the wood, of the woods, and she's saying while they have sex, do you love me, then help me. She's really begging for help. Right, right, right. <laughs> and the, the man, his interpretation of helping her is he makes this list of fears there's this pyramid, right? So like intellectual, yeah. intellectual and yes. close. Like, no, uh, I can help you. You just need to get past your stuff. Right, exactly. And but she can't list her fears. She doesn't. She's you know doesn't know up up from down. She's freaking out. She's really suffering. She bangs her head on the toilet bowl until she that bleeds. part is so painful. It's to hard. Watch. Yeah, the man stops her and drags her into bed, where they then have frantic sex again. It's all so inappropriate, you know. Like he's. Supposedly trying to be her therapist, they're having. I mean, you definitely shouldn't fuck your therapist. Yeah, you shouldn't be married to your. Do you therapist. think that's the big reveal in this movie? <laughs> Don't. Don't bang your therapist. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's just all so toxic, uh, and the man. I mean, she. You know, she's warning him that she's dangerous. Like she keeps. She's. You know, her grief is manifesting as really raw sexuality, which is common. Right. So, you know, I mean, this is also a movie about grief in a lot of ways. And this chapter is about grief. Yes. And to his credit, he doesn't... At no point in the film do I feel like he diminishes her feelings or the way she is. Like, I think his point of view is much more objectively, like, this woman is reaching out for something and this, like, shitty guy that she's married to, like, can't function as, like, a helpful person. No, he's intellectualizing something that cannot be intellectualized. Right, right. Which is a huge theme in the movie. Um, she says that he asks her where what what is the place that scares her the most, and she says the woods. And he's surprised because she always liked the woods, right? Like Eden. And then she tries to initiate sex again. They wrestle kind of playfully. She bites him. Yes, but that's right. But before that, it's very realistic and sweet. Kind yes. of. Yes, there's actually like, a nice little moment here yeah. where they're kind of flirting, and it's cute. And, and it's very, you know, how you are in a domestic setting with a partner in in a situation. I like feel that. like Defoe's physical comedy is very good. Like he does, like you bit me. Like yeah. He kind of looks at <laughs> yeah, her. Yeah. Yeah. She bites him, and he bleeds. Major foreshadowing. So their sex in this movie is also occasionally quite sexy. Oh, absolutely. when it's not like the beginning is straight up hot. It's it's really hot, yeah. and she's hot. He's hot. He's hot in that like Willem Dafoe face way. Yeah, totally. And she's, she's she's hot. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's a the sex in this movie is hot at times. Yeah, I would say. absolutely. I mean, it's kind of a sexy movie. It is a sexy yeah, movie in a way. Well, as, I mean, as somebody who is like currently researching erotic thrillers, yes, it's very much like. An elevated, like, but coming out of that tradition yes. of the erotic thriller. And it's a movie for goddamn adults. Like, I know yes. that sounds obvious, but, like, it, there is something important to this film as, like, this is a horror, like, an unclassifiable horror movie. I think it's an important movie. I mean, it's... I still liked it. I, I still like it. it. I, yeah. I I, have, like, nothing but, you know, admiration for it. Um I think that it was the precursor in many ways to a lot of the trends in horror that we're seeing now mm-hmm. um, with like a lot of the A24 horror movies. He's an innovator. I mean, 
It's an innovative movie in that yeah, regard. Yeah, right. because those movies are, and like this film doesn't deal with like a well, like no, it does. You're seeing a lot more of these films coming out now that use horror to explore like collective traumas of yes. people who are like, you know, I think there's that new. Well, there's the. Um, Get Out, obviously, and Us, but there's that new film whose name I can't remember that the A24 is producing that seems to be about, like, it's a horror film, but some of it seems to take place in, like, the plantation era south. Like it, it's um, cuts... Antebellum? Yes. Yeah. It seems to cut between those two. And this movie does that, too, in a much different way when it deals with the, like, history of... Right, and I know that the phrase elevated horror is uh, much hated in the horror community, but... You know, it's there is something to this like art boom of art house horror. Yeah, and I think it's like it's it's fine. I mean, it's not like I like horror movies, but I I do think you're right. Like I kind of blew my mind to think about like films like Midsummer, which I still haven't seen. But like Midsummer, I clearly just from the trailer owes a debt to Lars von Trier. Absolutely. Like you can absolutely. So does see, Hereditary. Yeah, you can see his influence in, yeah. in that stuff. So on the train on the way to Eden, the man tells the woman to close her eyes and imagine entering Eden through the woods. And um, the woman imagines herself in these really beautiful slow motion Uh, shots in the woods on this bridge. She's creeping through the woods in this like creepy, dark, overgrown, shadowy woods. Great sound design. Right. Great sound design towards the house. And the man tells her not to go in the house, but to lie down in the plants and we get this shot that is very much like the beginning of shot of the Lars von Trier shot, yeah, a woman a upside woman. down. Yes, or, a woman yeah, up, yeah. yeah. And she sinks into the grass. So now they arrive at Eden for real in the woods. And the woman, insi- the woman insists the ground is burning and she takes her shoes off and her feet are actually burned. This is very disturbing to me. Yes. This is one of the most troubling things that happens in this. Really? Why? Movie. Well, so like to come back to the idea of elevated horror, like when I was a kid, I could not watch The Exorcist. I was so scared of the the idea of The Exorcist that like it would be on because it used to be on TV all the time. And I would just be like, there's something so like absolute evil about this movie. And what and like because it takes the form in this like little girl. And I think that anything that deals with this kind of like satanic thing is uh world turned upside down quality is really scaring scary to me and the idea that that's right you grew up catholic i did grow up catholic i'm like yeah exactly (laughs) i'm also a recovering catholic (laughs) but the idea of like this woman walking around and the floor the ground is burning and the man can't feel it and like in his mind it's in her head but she has like these burns on the bottom of her feet is just so he ignores them he ignores them physically there it's just so like it's just troubling in the sense that, like, again, we've all been, Catholics in particular, have all been trained to think of, like, the nature and the earth and all these things in alignment and, like, femininity and, like, the use of women as a, and so to, to kind of have this, it just really sits with me, the idea of, like, the world is completely torn asunder by this kind of thing. And so, like, and this comes back to me with the idea of original sin is the death of the child and is right. the pleasure that she derives in the moment whilst her son is dying and the world is now turned upside down. And I think that yes. that's really upsetting. Totally. Yeah. And it's, you know, the hellfire underground mm-hmm. is the imagery. Also, the imagery that comes to mind is witch burning. Yes. Because of the gynocide element mm-hmm. in the plot. Well, we're here. The trailer to this movie does the movie a disservice because yeah. these shots of her writing like Satan. I know. And, and this is gynocide on the book. And I'll like. I hate that they give that away in the trailer. It's, but it's so well integrated into the movie 
that in the trailer, it's like they put that with like a sound effect, and you're like, that's not scary. It's just a word. Yeah. Like I don't know. It's just it's just weird. It's yeah, just weird. it's not. It's a very horror movie trailer. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, the woman is so tired she needs to lay rest and lay down in the grass, and the man wanders off, hearing a noise, and sees a deer in a clearing and slowly approaches it. And as he gets closer, he sees that it is in the process of giving birth to a dead baby deer, Ew. and that the dead baby deer is hanging out of its body. And he looks on in abject horror. So this is the first of three hallucinations, hallucinations perhaps, yeah. of uh, creepy animals, which we're going to learn of the three beggars. Uh, and yeah. who are maybe supposed to be a perversion of the three wise men? Yes, but it's maybe. like the satanic version of it, and yeah, it's yeah, tied yeah. to nature and all that. Um, I didn't really have time to look into if there's actual background to this, so um, you know you'll have to you'll have to you guys have to do that look work. for the Patreon the Patreon yeah so because I'll definitely be looking it up for that um so then you know of course like I have to think about the dead child imagery right yes <laughs> their child died so now we get to chapter two pain in parentheses chaos reigns one thing that I do really quickly yeah, regards yeah. to this is these. These three beggars or whatever. I like that the movie takes the time to, to put yourself in, in Defoe's perspective because I think it's important that like he see things that are baffling and he knows that he's like it just it makes it a more interesting movie that like his sort of sureness around the situation starts to collapse and dissolve. Yeah, in the, in and yet movie. he still insists that she's right hallucinating, even though he is too. It is a, a kind of amazing movie about gaslighting. Absolutely, which I don't think I would have been able to give voice to when I saw it in two thousand. No, not I would have been like, oh, cool, gaslighting. Yeah, <laughs> not cool, that, but now, you know what I mean. Now that we have like the language about that in the collective yeah. conscious, it's very it's much easier to talk about that. Another way the movie's kind of ahead of its time for sure mm -hmm. yeah so chapter two pain chaos reigns, chaos reigns. the woman chaos reigns. <laughs> my favorite part the woman tries to cross the bridge but is too overwhelmed and runs away and the man arrives at the house and looks around he finds her in bed he tucks her in and he also finds these polaroids of their son that he looks through uh. and in the middle of the night the man wakes up to chattering and thumping noises and the woman says it's these acorns falling on the house, uh, which right. will be a theme. The, right. the man yeah. wakes up in the morning, and his hand is somehow like hanging out of a window that's next to the bed. And what is on his hand? They look like mollusks or something. Yeah, there's like little mollusks, or I thought it was like moss or something, but he's like ripping them off. Well, the forest is eventually going to consume this guy, yes, right? Yes. In the form of women. At the end, or yes. whatever that happens to be, like yeah. So it's it's maybe it's a foreshadowing of that. I always found this image very weird. Yes, I was it, like, huh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, right. I think it's kind of showing that, like, you know, she is close to nature, right? And he is it's, it's so much so that it's making her sick, almost. Yes. And he, it's interesting. He is he is consumed by right. like he can't he doesn't really understand what he's dealing with. Uh, he makes the woman do an exercise where she has to like walk into the woods. I didn't really get it. He like makes her stand on a rock and then like take right. it off the rock and Is it because she's like scared of the woods and he's trying to like It's exposure therapy. Exposure therapy. Yeah. Right, 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 right. She's really yeah, she's can't even step foot in the woods. Uh, a dead baby bird falls from a tree. There's a close-up shot of it being devoured by ants, and then a hawk grabs it and eats that it. That part's fucked up. It's fucked up, yeah. Uh, 
she so there's just like a lot of fucked up nature stuff going on a lot of fucked up nature stuff (laughs) in this one yep she discusses how the last time she was at eden to write it was different she heard a sound and then we see this flashback of her working on her thesis and this is when we learn what her thesis was because she's cutting out an image a wood which is a woodcut of witches and placing it in a notebook that's called gynocide so her thesis is on gynocide the which is the genocide of women at least the genocide of women with vaginas. So right, I've I had never heard the term gynocide before. This I had movie. A, me I neither. I don't know if it's actually a a thing. I don't know if it is either. I think this is a good moment to talk about what I feel like. Maybe it's too early for this, but you can tell me. Which is the reveal in this film? Which is that she becomes convinced that women are evil. Yeah. And that she's torturing her son by making him wear the wrong shoes and yeah. like So the 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 thesis of the movie seems to be that she becomes convinced of her own research. Yes. Wow. I know. It's just kinda I mean but in a way I don't I don't mean I don't know if Lars von Trier was thinking of this but internalized misogyny yes. is a bitch. So <laughs> I It's a bitch, yeah, folks. I I I yes. think that, that that's also kind of smart. I, I mean, think it's smart too. Yeah. So the reason I want to bring it up now is because I think it changes the way you talk not that you talk about things but it gives you an insight into like what's complicated 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 about this movie and I think your point is interesting because like if this is a movie about depression which is such an interesting it's not about depression I mean he's a, it's about a depressed person but it's like the the culture that creates that to some extent and like he always Lars von Trier is always like I always relate to the women in my films mm-hmm. but I'm afraid I'm the man because all of his movies are about shitty man. All the men in his movies are terrible. Well, yeah, it's interesting that the way that he relates to women is through what he perceives to be their deep capacity for depression. And suffering. And suffering. And in the case yeah. of something like Breaking the Waves, um, martyrdom. Yes. Whatever it might be. Yeah. I, 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 this is kind of this idea of, like, is this film is misogynist. I don't know what your thoughts are, but, like, it's very intentional. Yes. He's it's self-awarely misogynist. <laughs> Which is really Kinda, complicated. It's it complicated, yeah. Like it, imagine the think pieces about this movie if it came out now. Oh, somebody maybe I'll write one. You should. Yeah. Well, I just think that like when people say it's mis- again, and you can watch it and not condone it, but when people go like, "Well, it's a misogynist." It's like, "Yes. It is." Yeah, but it's that doesn't necessarily make it bad. No. I don't know. It's, you know, it's uh... I think that if you walk out of the movie, if your takeaway, it's like people who watch, it's like, what's the effect that it has, right? I don't think anyone's watching the movie and being like, dude, we gotta, we gotta kill women. I think they're walking out of the movie, like, it's like people who saw Fight Club and were like, wow, Fight Clubs are cool. Like, you literally miss the point of Fight Club. I don't, I just don't, I don't think that, like, this film is necessarily gonna add to the dialogue in the pro-misogyny category, if that makes sense. No, I don't think so either. I don't think it's pro-misogyny. Right. I think it's like about, it, it is misogynist and it's about how he knows how disgusting that is in a way, almost. Like, Yet he can't help himself. Right, exactly. Which is maybe what a form of depression, maybe a, a thing about depression in terms yeah, of Yeah, like, I mean, that's actually a good point. Yeah. I know that this is, I'm wrong. I know that what I think, I know that, but I can't not. 
I can't help myself. He's clearly someone that cannot help themselves. Right. I mean, oof. Yeah. And that's well, a depression. That's a sign of depression. That totally is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, well, so much going on here. <laughs> There's in the flashback. She is also distracted by this baby crying and she runs into the woods. It's very disturbing. Yes. Looking for her son. And she runs back to the house and she finds Nick, their baby, p- content and playing in the shed. But the crying doesn't cease. So it was like these phantom cries. And that shed is... It's interesting foreshadowing because that's where the shit hits the fan. That's where things and keep the happening. dicks bleed. Yeah, that's where things keep happening. Is this creepy shit? Ah. Yeah, and he, the man, gaslights her again, basically saying she was hearing things and that she's panicking, that that wasn't real, that she imagined that. Even though he knows that he's also seeing things, right? And she attacks him and he wrestles her to the ground. She accuses him of being arrogant. Um, and then she says she says something like, this may not last. Ever thought of that? Yeah, it's a really chilling moment. Yeah. She's really chilling at moments she in this is, film. Yeah. I think that something that this film gets right is the male tendency to try to rationalize. And the ever ever present cultural weight of like women are more emotional than men like the idea that like well yeah you're just more emotional than i am like everything's fine right Stop. when he clearly hasn't moved through this grief in a healthy way either. no yeah yeah he thinks he has he's in denial right much much more deeply and she than... keeps saying very cryptic things that he just keeps ignoring right it's, right it, which is bizarre So in bed that night, she talks about how the last time she was there, she imagined that the acorns were crying, the acorns that are hitting the house. It's a very sad image. Yeah, like the the sky crying or something. And Mm -hmm. he belittles her. And he says, that's a nice idea if it were a children's book. And I was like, why can't she talk about anything? I was so mad. Yeah, yeah. I think that one of the things that's interesting is like she's clearly act whatever whatever it is, like there's this correlation between her and the planet and the and the and the nature. Yeah. And she's like tapped into something through her grief because she's actually dealing with her grief. Right. And he can't. And he can't and he thinks that her dealing with her grief is like unhealthy almost or like well he keeps saying you have to move through it. And she is, though. Right. But that's the thing is, like... Do you think this movie is, like, anti-therapy or has anti-therapeutic tendencies? Because... I think so. I yeah. Think it's, I think that considering that he was going through a lot of this at the time that he was making it, I think it's probably a commentary on, like, the ineptitude, ultimately, mm-hmm. of, of therapy, of... You know, because this is very much based on CBT, mm-hmm. cock and ball torture. No, cognitive <laughs> behavioral therapy. But also cock and ball torture. <laughs> but yeah. That's, that's, what, that's fair. Yeah. Um, and it, that is kind of like the modality that CBT therapists use is like we have to move through this thing. And we yeah. have to like talk about it rationally. Um, Can I make a big reach? Yeah. So... Therapy as like a form is like so strongly associated with people like Freud and other thinkers who's referenced in the movie, who's referenced in the movie. And like Freud as this kind and like all these sort of intellectuals that wrote about like, you know, things related to like how we process and how we deal with things. But ultimately, like therapy is there to like excavate trauma and help you like live your life in a more like in the broadest of senses. Right. And so he's using this tool invented by like this white european man to like counteract like the what he views as the irrationality of 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 his of his wife Mm -hmm. who's actually dealing with 
who's actually a researcher on like trauma that women have experienced throughout time. And like that starts to build up in her on some level. And it's like the earth is a graveyard of dead women is kind of something that the movie seems to be saying at certain points. So like that weird tendency, maybe it's not in therapy, but it's the co-opting of therapy as like a tool to gaslight and oppress people historically who like absolutely are troubled by yeah. real actual trauma visited upon. Yes. And women have have a complex relationship with therapy because right. it's been a lot of like modern mental health behavior practices were derived from the torture of women right. in, in these these spaces, these therapeutic spaces. And it's kind of, I mean, I kind of think of the yellow wallpaper also. Yes. Like he's forcing her to be in this space where she experienced this trauma, which is not necessarily the best idea. I also think if you've ever been to like a doctor's appointment with a woman, as a, as a, as a guy having been in the spaces, my wife and people I know talk to me all the time, but like, well, no one took it seriously because I... I would be like, oh, I'm dealing with this. And like male doctors or whoever would be like, nah, you're probably fine. Yeah. It's probably in your head. Which oh, is yeah. what he's kind of saying in this whole movie. It's yes. like, this shit's in your head. And she's like, no, it's in the earth. I feel it. Yes. And he's like, nah, it's cool. You're fine. And then she cuts his dick off. So yeah. like. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's like a, I don't know, historical revenge visited upon like the uh, representation of like male bullshit. I mean, a male therapist is kind of the ultimate representation of male bullshit yes. in a lot of ways. And he's so good. Defoe is so good in it because he's so just like, he locates a person in the character, but he's also just good at being like, no, you're wrong. Yeah. And you're like, fuck he's like, that's, you. That's a nice idea if it were a children's book. <laughs> it's very like. You should play him in the inevitable remake. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> of course, I could see Hollywood being like Antichrist, but gender reversal. What? what? <laughs> you missed the point of this movie. <laughs> Antichrist, but two women. Ooh. Then- yeah, it's uh, what's it called? It's uh, Persona. Persona. A movie I would love to talk about. I, I love, love Persona. I love yeah. Persona. It's one of my favorites. It is the sexiest movie ever made. Yes. It's it is like so sexy. A, an Antichrist with two women would be like Persona, if, if Persona met What Keeps You Alive. Have you seen that? I actually haven't. That's I should watch one. it. The yeah. scene in Persona when um, B.B. Anderton, Anderson is talking about that boy she meets on the pier. Love You're that. just like, oh my God. God. Like, whew, is this, I know. Is it hot? You guys here? okay? Yeah. Exactly. Should we take a break? Yeah. And you like, woof. <laughs> yep, that's I a hot it. scene. It's a hot scene. It it's really a hot is. movie. Yeah. It's very uh safic. It uh, is very safic. Yeah. So the next morning, Charlotte Gainsborg. Gainsborg. <laughs> she. She is oddly cheery. And she says to him, I love you, darling. But then he mentions his dreams and she kind of spits his rhetoric at him saying his dreams have no no place in modern psychology so she's like deceptively cheery yes uh she takes him on a frolic through the woods i'm kidding she's good i'm kidding now charlotte gainsbourg's weird british accent it's so yeah i love her voice Uh, that's great do you ever have you listened to her music yes i love her music Yep, and her song with Serge Gainsbourg. Oh yes, Lemon Incense. I forgot about that. Yep, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. And now she's cured because she can follow through the woods peacefully. But he's skeptical. She walks away, leaving him alone in the brush. Right. And he spots some movement among the leaves. Walk towards it. Reaches for this dead fox that he sees that now springs to life and begins eating itself. And it says, "Chaos reigns." Yes. 
fade to black. So this to me is always, it's just about the, the reversal, whereas maybe she's dealt with some stuff. Uh, the grief's over. We're in chapter two, which is Chaos Reigns. Is it that she's embraced this kind of like, yeah, nothing is any meaning and it's all crazy. I'm fine. And he's like, fuck, I don't know what to do. I don't know. It's it's interesting. I, it's so weird. I mean, it's <clears throat> it's kind of like she's, I don't know. I kind of saw it as her trying to like almost placate him and like yes. get out of this situation in some I ways. can see that too. Yeah, yeah. no, definitely. Sure. Yeah. And he kind of sensed that. And um, the fox was like a harbinger of like, oh, it ain't over. It ain't, and it, it sure ain't. Yeah. Chapter three. <laughs> Chapter three. Despair. Gynocide. It starts raining. He goes back to the house. She is sleeping. And he, he grabs a ladder to go up to her secret writing space through this trap door. And he finds various images of women being tortured throughout the ages, like all these creepy woodcuts, uh, mostly witch hunt imagery. Three big. Yeah, right. I'm just remembering. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and he finds her gynocide book, which I want that book. And it's an image. Call the gynocide consultant. <laughs> there's, there's an image of these the three beggars, this, these constellations um, of pain, despair, and grief, which are the chapters in this movie. And it, right. it's it's a crow, a deer, and a fox. So we've met the deer and the crow and the, the fox already. Right. And he looks in her journal and he sees that her writing had become aggressively more and more unhinged and feral, um, like just scrawl eventually. Right, right, right. And he's scared. Uh, he He's freaked out. And he wants to, later that day, he wants to do this role play with her where he's going to provoke her fears and she has to remain rational. Uh, and he says he is nature. And he provokes her by saying he's going to kill her. He, in, he intimates that he is that he is more than outside nature. He's also human nature, which leads them back to her thesis. Right. Because she says she discovered something else in her material. She came to believe that women are inherently evil and don't control their bodies. The man is repulsed oh, by this. Yeah. The man is repulsed. Interesting, because he's been such a fucking misogynist. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, no totes. You should be like, yep, that seems accurate. Yeah, no, he's like reproaches her for imbibing the gynocidal beliefs that she had originally set out to criticize. We're talking our my way, th which we're well, talking our way through this movie. It makes me like it, uh, appreciate it even more deeply. And like one of the things that I appreciate it, that I think it gets so right is that like the gaslighting that occurs in the movie is partially a partially like the, again, the rat like there for a man, for this guy, there's things you don't say. Right. Like, so she actually lays something bare and he's like, no, you can't say things like that. Like, it's interesting to me that like, no, I had this as a discovery, which like it's, it sounds awful. But like the fact that he's so horrified, despite his own behavior throughout the film, just says a lot about this kind of like lack of understanding that he has about like who he is and what he's doing. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, if I can get slightly personal for a minute, um, this is something that I've that I think a lot of women struggle with, mm -hmm. like that I think we don't feel like we can talk about because it makes us like bad mm -hmm. feminists or bad women. And, you know, I've having somebody who's experienced as somebody who's experienced a lot of ab abuse in my life. Like you do get to a point where you're like, it has to be me. Like I have to be this bad. The problem. Person. Yeah. I have to be evil. Like people see this evil in me and they're trying to punish me. So it's. It's very dark, but right. that's 
actually thing that happens. So in a way, I, this kind of resonated with me. Like I found this really interesting that she started to believe after being exposed to so many horrible images. Right. Started to believe there has to be some kind of reason that this was happening and this comes back to the idea of depression if depression is some form of self-hate and what this film seems to be getting at is the idea of like self-hate through the ages like this isn't limited to one she's she she's not charlotte she's so kind of the idea that maybe what he's saying with the movie is like there's more to depression than the therapeutic idea of like you don't like yourself it's rooted in like culture and compl- and 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 society and all these things and the man of like rationality and science can't possibly fathom the idea that like that could ever be the case and i also think we keep coming back to the idea of history and like the ground is burning or uh there's these dead animals that are coming to life again like everything is connected like the history that she's researching is like the history of dead women murdered by men or right. murdered by ma- male institutions. This is affecting my psyche. And he's like, no. So the second she sort of identifies a real trauma or a real depression, he's like, that's not what it is. Right. You're sad because your kid died. Yes. It's pretty deep. It is pretty deep. It's a good movie. Yeah, it is. Damn. A good movie. Yeah. I, you, I, I love this movie. Yeah. So. They have sex again, and the woman demands that the man hit her, but oh, he right. but he will not. Uh, another kind of that's kind of also kind of interesting to me is this kind of idea of like you know she wants this thing, and he's like I'm not going to do it, thinking that he's protecting her, but it's right. like she wants it. Yes. <laughs> so she is, sobs violently and says, "Then you don't love me." And she goes outside naked into the woods and starts violently masturbating at the foot right. of this rotting tree. And the man finds her and finally slaps her across the face. Finally. And she she begs for more. And they have sex at the base of this freaky ass tree. And he, you know, she mutters something about how the sisters from Radisborn could start a hailstorm. And you see this like flash of this woodcut imagery. It's almost like a Macbeth line. Yes. A little toil and trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a weird, it's a weird moment. What is Radisborn? It's these, um,. It's these sisters, oh, okay. these witch sisters, probably like their last name or where they were from or something. Okay, that's interesting. Um, and their bodies, the, we zoom out and we see that there are bodies entwined within the exposed roots of this tree. It's a city in Bavaria, okay. southeast Germany. So the sisters of Radisborn. This image is very iconic to the movie. Yes. Them boning in front. It's the cover of the. No, it's not the cover. It's the. It's one of the images on the Blu-ray. The Blu-ray is her cover. Is her bloody legs. Oh wow. Okay. Like her knees up. And yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is one of those iconic images of like yes. all the limbs and the trees. Like it was the, like the first press shot. Right. Like the women are with her. Yes. Like that's these, great. Yeah. It's yeah. so powerful. Yeah. That's really good. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, she says. Back at the house, he chastises her again for believing women are evil. And she says, you don't. And he says, you don't have to understand me. Just trust me, which is so mm-hmm. horrible. to Like, why doesn't she have to understand him? Um, she finds the papers she was looking at. He was looking at before because um, there was this there's there was this time. There was this point where he like opened a an envelope. Right. 
right and um oh i feel like we completely forgot to talk about the acorn images that are where they're hitting his head yes yes he yes. opens the envelope and there's this he gets this image of the acorns hitting his head that's right yeah it's kind of a powerful image but it doesn't yeah it's not as in the same way that the other ones are yeah this part of the movie really messes me up with the feet yes yeah so it's the papers are this this autopsy report of their son and he says there's nothing there's no cause for alarm but that there was this odd note about a slight deformity in the bones of his feet. And he, this part is very disturbing because yeah. it's very like subtly disturbing where he shows her a Polaroid of Nick with his shoes on the wrong feet and asks her about it. And she, he goes out into the shed and he looks at all the other Polaroids and, and all of them, the shoes are on the wrong feet. And we see this image of her, this flashback of her with her son, and she's forcing his shoes on the wrong feet as he cries. It's really upsetting. So I don't know. What do you make of that? Like, it's supposed to confirm. I mean, she kind of started to believe she was evil, and then she just started torturing her son. So is it that she's evil, or is it that, is it a subtle act of revenge? On the male and on the sun. And on the sun. Yeah, I mean, I think so, too. I mean, I think in a way this movie kind of also deals with postpartum yes. depression. Um, you know, and it kind of, it goes, it both embraces and goes against the idea of the mother as, like, the all-natural caregiver. Which is kind of great. Yeah. Because you never get that in yes. culture. Especially yeah. not, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's an interesting take. Yes. And... I mean, I think it. Yeah, I think it's like a, a subtle act of, and it's also like it being the feet is also interesting because, you know, you you really disable someone that way by taking away their ability to walk properly. I also think there's a in the Bible there's the mention of Mary cleaning Jesus's feet before. Um, after he comes off the crucifix, it's like mm. very specific, I think. Or there's always references to Mary cleaning Jesus' feet there or is. their feet being clean. Yes, I mean, again, is. if this is an inversion is like of an that. It's like an inversion of that. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So. Let's just get to the end of this thing. Yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. These next few minutes are harrowing. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like disturbed, right? And um, he takes out that pyramid. Yes. And, um, and writes me at the top. And says to himself, herself, that's what she's afraid of. And she attacks him from behind, <clears throat> accusing him of leaving her. They wrestle to the ground and they start to have violent sex. And he, when he says he loves her, she says, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. <laughs> and she she's hit, amazing and in she this, is. this part this, of the this movie. The it's the completely unhinged. It's so unhinged. She hits him in the head with a large piece of wood. He goes unconscious and he's still erect. And she... I think his balls get knocked off. Oh, okay. I think he is, she literally knocks his balls off okay. because then he masturbates blood. Not that that's scientifically accurate, but I, I've always been like, oh, she just knocked his balls off. Okay, yeah. So I, that was unclear to me. But she masturbates him with, oh. with, the, with a, a oh. dick that oh. you see on screen. Yeah. That then Squirts blood. Spurts blood and onto her shirt. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Very much an inversion of like the eroticism of before of the beginning scene. And she drills a hole in his leg and like bolts this grindstone through the wound and then tosses the wrench that she used to do that underneath the cabin. 
and she walks into the woods. Pants and lips. that is Antichrist. <laughs> Just kidding. He awakens, unable to loosen that bolt, and he hides by dragging himself into a deep foxhole at the base of that dead tree. And she screams out for him and calls him a bastard a bunch of times. He finds the last beggar in the tree, which is the crow, which is buried alive. And it and reveals his position. Squawk. Yep. It and he tries to like bash its head in. She he reveals where he is and she attacks him again and like buries him mostly alive in the tree with a shovel. Now we get chapter four, the three beggars. Mm. As night falls, she is now remorseful and she unburies him, but she cannot remember where the wrench is to get that grindstone off of him. She helps him back to the cabin where she tells him she does not yet want to kill him, adding that the three beggar when the three beggars arrive, someone wants to Which is die. like an inversion right. of the baby Jesus being yes, born. Yes, absolutely. The, it's, it's all yeah. very satanic. Yes. And she sobs on top of him. And, you know, she, she also says a crying woman is a scheming woman. It's a very disturbing Yeah, moment. which I, I'm going to look into it, but I think is maybe a quote from like a misogynist text. Yeah, it reads that way. Yeah, like... Maybe even the Malleus Maleficarum, which is the witch hunter book that they use. Oh, yeah. So, Jesus. Because there's so much witch imagery in this. So. Yeah, there's a lot of it. A crying woman is a scheming woman. I'm curious. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that that, it very much sounds like something from the Malleus Maleficarum. Uh, so she uses his hand to masturbate herself. And in a flashback, she recounts Nick climbing up the window. She sees him. Right. Yeah, she sees him while they were having sex and didn't act. Uh, thus, you know, displaying her perceived essential evil. It's like an original sin thing. Yeah, I mean, do you think that that is a false memory that she's having? Because in the beginning, we don't see her recognize him falling out the window. Like, do we see her? She's trying to find justifications for her inherent evil. Oh, that could be. Also, I think what's interesting about what you're suggesting there is the idea that, like, she feels responsible. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I guess I haven't thought about it. I, I think the the sort of the less interesting thing is that it's an absolute image of what actually happened because I think that that's less interesting. But I like how it plays with her. I like how it plays with our perception of her. And I also wonder if like maybe if this movie is all about inversion and the idea of, of someone being depressed and getting therapy and feeling better is that they like see the good in themselves or whatever. They like feel the idea that the inverse is like, no, I'm terrible and I know it as a form of freeing yourself is kind of a compelling, again, this is like world turned upside down kind of stuff. Yes. So like the embracing of your like inherent shittiness, whatever, which is glib, but kind of a thing is really interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, the the she cuts off her clitoris <laughs> in a close up, ladies and gentlemen. Um, with her with this pair of scissors, rusty which we scissors, see, yeah, rusty scissors, which we see in graphic detail. So she's like removing, which is another thing. Like men, you know, in the 16th century, used to think that the clitoris, if a woman had a clitoris, that meant she was a witch because they never actually interacted with a vagina. So uh, it's a really upsetting shot. Right. It's uh, I think this was actually maybe the, my rewatch was the first time I ever watched it without like my hands in front of my yeah. face. Did you um, see this in the theater? No. Oh, OK. Just curious. Yeah. yeah it's no. a lot on the big screen. <laughs> Giant false vagina clitorectomy. Uh, and the man looks out the window and he sees the three beggars constellation. He says there is no such constellation, which I found interesting. Yes. And. 
the woman sobs and says, none of it's any use. These lines are so burned into my brain. Yes. And the hailstorm begins, which it was implied earlier that witches could summon hailstorms. And they're visited by the crow, the deer, and the fox who come into the house. And they kind of sit near the woman. Yes. And it's a great image. Yes. And the man breaks through the floorboards and finds the wrench under the house. Right. She tries to attack him with scissors, but he manages to unbolt the grindstone. And finally free, he viciously attacks her and strangles her to death. It's the most difficult, most violent part of the movie by like Yeah, which downs. is like, and it's not the most graphic. Yes. But it's the most violent and disturbing. And then he burns her on a funeral pyre, kind of like a witch. Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah, oh I remember even seeing it. I was like, oh, this is clear. This is clearly like, yeah, this guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, witch it's, imagery meant a lot of witch stuff. In this and movie. then the women dead naked. Yes, I yeah, forgot the dead naked women. Yeah, there's this image of like hundreds of dead naked women at the base of the rotting tree, which kind of comes back to the idea of like the earth is littered with dead women or dead people or yeah it's just yeah and it's specifically women yeah and now we get the epilogue and we're back to that black and white oh, slow motion oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah with that aria playing like in the beginning of the film and he limps from the cabin eating wild berries in oh, a feral true. manner and we see like the three diaphanous beggars looking on they're like transparent translucent now and reaching the top of the hill under a brilliant light, he sees hundreds of women in like old timey clothing coming towards him, their faces blurred. This is why I feel like the end of this movie is about like this motherfucker's gonna get it. Yeah. I feel like he gets murdered by these women at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um I don't know, some closing thoughts. Like there's a a lot going on here with the ending. Like there what do you, like the violence I find so essential to it. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, I mean a lot of people when this came out were like, "Oh, it's just shocking for the sake of being shocking," no. which I don't agree with at all. I think it's very much like part a huge part of the big reveal of this movie and I mean she mutilates both of their genitals. So, yeah, I, I think, wh- thinking about it now, I think I don't necessarily, again, it's not up to Lars von Trier to tell us how we're supposed to take this film. But I think it is a, again, he's a troll. He's been accused of being a misogynist. So he's like, okay, let's get at the core of what misogyny might mean right and so to make a movie about a woman who becomes so convinced of her own inherent evilness because of hundreds and thousands of years of violence preyed upon women by men is a pretty provocative take on misogyny in the sense that like like maybe is the movie saying that maybe misogyny isn't a isn't a woman maybe the movie is saying that misogyny is not a woman's issue it's a man's issue put upon women like in the sense that like this hatred that women have for themselves is because of what's been done to them historically. Yes, that's how I read it. I think, right? Yeah, that is how I read it. I think there are elements of it. I don't know. I think when people saw it, they were like, oh my God, this movie is about how women are inherently evil. And I'm like, but he gets attacked at the end. Like, they take revenge on him. And every instinct you have in the movie, if you're a normal person, is to sympathize with her. Yes, you just don't He's watch. He's not the, a sympathetic character. You don't watch the movie and go like, "This guy is great." No. You watch the movie and go like, "Why the fuck can't you just listen to your wife?" Right. And I think that comes back to the idea of like all men, we've we've all we've all been trained and bought into the logic of like we're the 
not the logic, but the thinking like where are the logical ones. Like it's just a, it's a classic example of like a man being like, "You're fine. Stop. Right. Stop. You're fine. Shut up. It's right. fine. Everything's exactly. fine. Yeah. And meanwhile, he's seeing shit. And he's like, "No, no, that's real. It's fine. Everything's fine." But she's in. She is in tune with it. Right. And accepts it. And she's powerful. Yes. So in a way, is it like she's brave because she can deal with? In the, what I mean when I say that is like, not that it's that like she has gone through some things that he's never going to let himself do that. And she becomes this powerful figure. And she knows like, in a weird way, like I have to destroy this guy. Well, and I think it's also about trauma and yes. how trauma can, she, you know, it feels like this really dark thing inside of you and it's instead of repressing it like she completely purges it and allows her allows it to become this yeah. huge dark thing that can control even weather itself and he is his whole thing is like oh you have to move through it but really he's trying to get her to repress it it makes me think it's, it's funny we talked about this earlier but he uh, he did that tv version of medea Mm-hmm. And like the thing about Medea is it's about a woman murdering her kids to reclaim some autonomy in her life from right. her shit husband. Right. And like this movie has something in common with that. Right. And that's something we haven't talked about. So if she at the end at the beginning of the film watches her son die, is it what inherently ties her to this guy? Is it their child? Like is it a is it a way for if if the child dies can she escape? Can she get out of this like terrible? And we don't know anything about their relationship before, but like, right. there's nothing that makes me go like, oh yeah, this guy was great before his kid died. Like, no, I think she's always resented him. Right. I mean, imme- and she kind of says that. Yeah, and I mean, immediately in the beginning of the movie in the hospital, she's like, "You always do this." Like, right. She there's immediately a tense relationship between them, and they do appear to have this great sex but it's like fueled by rage almost inside of her and yeah i mean i just man i i could talk about this movie for forever i think it's it's really good and so much going on talking through it in this context is like made me appreciate it more i think that i i think that probably it's because of the history it has, it's easy to be glib about it a little bit. But like, I think that on, on some level, this is a movie about a woman understanding that you can't control nature and a man murdering her because he can't accept the reality of like, of that, of his own trauma. Like, a kid fell from a window, the shit happens. Like, there's a little bit of shit happens to that. Yes. And he needs to like, handle it in his way and it it's so interesting that he lights her on fire at the end i mean it's awful but it also speaks like i have to purge the earth of this right and it's also kind of speaking to how shared trauma between two people can be toxic right and not necessarily healing like right you know they're they're feeding into each other's manias like she's feeding his just as much as he's feeding hers right like it's and it it yeah it they she does he doesn't listen to her and and she is you know almost kind of reliant on him as like almost like a child is yes. in some ways so yeah she needs something that he can't give do you think this movie is misogynistic um god I don't. Mm-hmm. I think like 
I think Lars von Trier is a misogynist. <laughs> and I think because of that, I, th- I think it is a misogynist movie, but I think, like I said earlier, I think it's really aware of it in a mm-hmm. way that I find very fascinating. And mm-hmm. sometimes I appreciate, I mean, I kind of appreciate it because I think sometimes like women filmmakers, like there's so much pressure on them to like make this grand statement, which is why Chantal Ackerman, yes. who loved Lars von Trier. And the quote is just like, he gives m- women uh, yeah. in this interview from uh, AV Club, uh, I don't know any man giving that space to a woman, referring to Charlotte Gainsbourg or Nicole Emily Watson in, in Breaking the List. Yes. So, I mean, I find that there's so much pressure on women like Chantal Ackerman to make these, like, feminist epics. Yes. And I think sometimes it's interesting when men explore that because they have so much space to explore it in a way that women don't a lot of the times. So it's... Yeah, I don't know. It's hard. It's it's difficult for me to say that I love something that I think is misogynist. I understand. But it, but I do love this movie. I think you're to your point. <clears throat> I think he's a misogynist because of the constant need in his films to torture, hurt, and manipulate women. Yes. But I also think if my, if 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 there's something that redeems it in this film, and that I think it's separate from talking about his other movies is there is a very clear willingness to reckon with that in this movie, both personally for him, but also I think he's taking a much larger historical... He's he's taking a much larger historical kind of perspective on it and asking whether this is some... Like, if he's implying that there are dead women in the ground everywhere, it implies a certain, like complexity to what misogyny is and i think that i've never kind of viewed it that way before i think he's using horror to touch on some real horrible shit yeah and i think that that's makes it again totally totally in many ways a misogynist film but also like reckoning with it in a way that like no other male filmmaker is gonna attempt he's to kind do of that. exploring his own misogyny yeah which i honestly find really compelling yeah like i think that more people should explore their own yeah. implicit biases in their work um and a lot of his films do that yeah and if there's a way that he's collapsed and and lost or the way that and i haven't seen the house that jack built but it seems to me that he's doing the inverse which is like oh you think this is who i am then let me make a movie about it right as opposed to this film which i think is him responding to like this isn't as simple not i don't think he made antichrist to combat charges of misogyny against him but i think he made the movie to go like if this is something you guys want to talk about let's really talk about it yeah yeah which is pretty compelling yeah and i mean he made it in the depths of a depression so in a way he's saying that he identifies with this woman Mm -hmm. who is depressed after losing her child yeah if anybody's a stand-in for him in the movie it's charlotte absolutely so I think it's a pretty incredible movie. Yeah. I think it's kind of like maybe the it's not my favorite of his films, but it might be it might be the most important movie he he made. Yeah. And I think time is going to be good for it. I think time has I don't, no one talks about it, but I, I I don't know. I think it's Yeah, I think it's retrospectively like I said, I think it inspired a lot of what's going on right now in film. Yeah. I agree. So this was so fun. This was fun. Thank you for bringing me on. And I'm I we you made the joke earlier, but it is it's it, I'm honored to have earned a spot on the show. 
Yeah, you did it's it. It's nice. Thank you, you Annie. You did it. Yeah, Yay. of course. High Yay. five. Um, um, 30 episodes in, we never had a straight man. You're the first. I'm the it's first one. It's a huge, one. huge honor. I have some notes. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, uh, cool. Well, well, Liam was one of the people who told me I should only do a few scenes, but then the people were like, no, we want the play-by-play. No, I think it's good. I miss that. On my show, <laughs> Yeah, plug your Bu- show. So yeah. I do a show called Uber Busters with my friend George Fregopoulos. Um, it was... And it it was inspired by there's this interview that John Cassavetes, Peter Falk and Ben Gazzara, the goat, my favorite human being of all time, did uh, promoting the film Husbands in the 1970s on Dick Cavett. And it's like the most hilarious when you're 25. It's hilarious. When you're 35, you're like, fuck these guys. (laughs) Um, So we did our first season. We watched that and we talked about all of John Cassavetes movies kind of in like to like sort of look at them in in a current lens. And season two is on Philip Seymour Hoffman. And season three is Batman. Interesting. Well, I also want to say um, this movie kind of relates to your podcast in a way because I think your greater project is really, um, you know, kind of dissecting masculinity. Yes. And representations of masculinity. And I find that really interesting. Thank you. I mean, I, I would like to say that that has been a big part of it because I think we, especially with John Cassavetes, we wanted to go. A big influence on the show is Mark Pagan's podcast, Other Men Need Help, which is an entirely different format. It's a doc narrative storytelling thing. But I think we are trying to look at like the way that yeah, like like what who Philip Seymour Hoffman was as an actor and as a person, and then like what how we're supposed to interpret these kind of legends, these masculine legends of movie making or whatever. But we do it. It's a very like it's a goofy show. We goof off a lot, and um, yeah, it's fun. And uh, season three starts soon. And they can find you on Instagram and Twitter as Uberbusters. Uberbusters on Instagram and Twitter, and I'm Liam G. Billingham. And my co-host, George Fragopoulos, is George Fragop- G. Fragopoulos on Twitter. He, you don't have to follow him. He's fine. He's great. Yeah, I, he's he, the best. He loves Sallow. He does. He, he wants to come on your show and talk I, about Sallow. Uh, come on But now. I told him, We already did no, Sallow. No, that's right. But, but, we, but we can do something He is else. obsessed with Pier Paolo Pasolini. As and is I. writing poems about him. Amazing. So maybe you should maybe have George. Maybe we can do Akatone. Oh. All right. This yeah. was great. This Thank was you, Annie. Great. Thank you. You know where to find me. Girls Guts Jallo. Twitter, uh, Instagram. Sign up for my Give Patreon. Give Annie your money. Patreon.com slash Girls Guts Jallo. See you next time. Bye.